Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking about why mental health is financial health with Asia Evans. And so the fundamentals of personal finance, they're not all that complicated, right? Like there is a reason why we came up with the money gears. Just seven easy steps that you can take with your money. We could probably boil it down even more, right? <laughs> like spend less than you make, invest the rest. Uh, and so while the core principles of growing wealth are fairly simple, then why aren't more Americans handling their money better? Well, one reason is because we as individuals are incredibly complex. We are not simple. Uh, and that complexity can lead to uh, just a disconnect between what it is that we know that we should be doing with, with our money uh, and then what it is that we actually end up doing. Uh, and sometimes we need someone to guide us, which is why we're very excited to be talking with Asia Evans. Asia is a licensed mental health counselor with over 10 years of experience, and she works to help people to move towards financial wellness by understanding their relationship with money. She helps folks understand their money mindset and how their feelings impact what it is that they do with their money. And Asia, she even says on her site that chatting about money and feelings is her superpower. That's the intersection that she sits at. So Asia, we are very excited to be talking with you today. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. The Wonder Woman of Money and Feelings, <laughs> Asia Evans. Hey, uh, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, right? Uh, that's that's branding right there. You Feel free to steal that. The first, oh, well. <laughs> the first question- <laughs> that, that was free. Right. <laughs> first question we ask everyone who comes on the show is how they like to splurge 
because it tells us a little something about about them, right? Matt and I, we're all about saving and investing for our future, but if you're not having fun in the present simultaneously, then what are you doing, right? And so what what is that for you? What do you like to splurge on in the here and now while you're also being intentional about saving for your future? Um, I really love to go out to eat and spend my money on delicious eats, whether they are fancy eats, casual eats, quick eats. Um, me and my husband took a flight to Copenhagen right before COVID, actually, and we got to go to Noma and got reservations for Ooh, Noma. Yeah. Wow. Fancy. fancy did you fancy. forage for your own dinner or did they forage for it for you? <laughs> I mean, you walk through the gardens and you walk through everything. Oh my so gosh. it was the high, like the culinary highlight of my life currently. I cried. Uh, well, it was yes. a whole thing. Yeah. And oh they're closing gosh. soon. Man, that's, I think that's one of Kate's bucket list items that she is not going to be able to yeah. <laughs> we fought to for do. that reservation we bet, really like two of us oh on gosh. the computer we were on vacation at the time and put ca- like calendar alerts yeah we fought for that <laughs> reservation i love it okay well let's immediately get practical asia like how is it that you actually give yourself permission to spend that money because that's not a cheap dinner you say no. that you like no. you know casual eats as well <laughs> this is not a casual eat. this right. is very expensive this isn't empanadas on the street <laughs> you not know at all. how do you do that how do you do that though without feeling guilty like do you just have a maybe a dollar amount that you're willing to say, all right, we're going to earmark this money. We're on vacation. Is there a rule of thumb? Like, how is it that uh, maybe some some guidance that you could give listeners? Sure. So I think it really depends on what's important to you and what's a priority in your life for you and your um, yourself or your family. For us, getting something like that reservation is already difficult. And we knew that if we were able to get the reservation, like we're making peace with whatever it is that we're spending, because this is literally a once in a lifetime situation and scenario. So knowing that that huge experience was not going to be something that would easily come around again was allowed both of us to feel comfortable spending that. I, what I will say is an absorbent amount of money for <laughs> a dinner and a flight and staying there. Um, so I think that something like that, I just am totally okay spending the money because that is something that I will think about forever and that we did it together and we did it with friends, which was even better. It was oh, just, it was that makes us all the much more fun. Right? Too. It was yep. the best. So, <laughs> When it comes to doing a trip like that, once in a lifetime, I can justify. We knew it was coming. We had saved for it. We were ready to make that decision and, you know, swipe the card, if you will. But for other decisions, when it's kind of like, hey, we this is a restaurant that's closer to home. Um, I live very close to New York City, so that, too, can get really pricey, even if you're not trying to, you know, break the bank or do too much with your spending, it can really add up quickly. But we know that that's something that brings us joy. And we have an allotted amount of money that we feel comfortable with spending a month on things of that nature. So if it's, hey, let's get that quick empanada on the street, or we're at the farmer's market and these heirloom tomatoes look really great, or hey, let's go hire a babysitter and let's have a date night because we haven't gone out in a while. We have certain amounts of money that we feel comfortable spending with that. And I think we really learned, (laughs) I will say, kind of the hard way from when we lived in New York City proper. We lived in Brooklyn. Um, We were really, we're really spending it, (laughs) spending a ton (laughs) of money. So when we moved out and had kids, you know, your finances have to change. So it's, it's an easy sacrifice sometimes when you know what you lived like before and, and what you're sacrificing for now. You know, I, I learned pretty quickly from a few of my first 
awesome trips that I went on, I was in my hyper frugal phase. I just refused to spend on on certain things, and it. I came home from the trip and I was like, man, I didn't even have like one. It was fun and I saw some cool stuff, but I, I made it a goal to pay for one experience every time I'm somewhere. And so like for me, the first trip I'm thinking about that where I kind of implemented that was I, I went on a motorized hang gliding tour in Maui and it, that made all the difference. I look back to that and I'm like, that is what I remember now about my Maui experience. And if I had just, if it had just been the beaches and the community and all that other stuff, it would have been one thing, but it was like, now that experience sticks out in my head. So I think budgeting for that and, and implementing that is helpful and it, it helps facilitate those memories which are so important too about like the future value of that trip um i'm curious how do you help folks think through spending versus saving versus investing their money like uh, saving is really just deferred spending like we're hoping that at some point or we're assuming that at some point in the future we're going to need to spend that money so how do we mentally negotiate the trade-off of spending now versus having more money to spend in the future hyper frugal people will be like ah at this sort of return rate i'm gonna have this much more money in the future and that is true but you also have to think about being able to buy the things that matter now too right yeah definitely so one of what i would call like a founding principle or value that i have with my my work is that I want people to live their best lives. I want people to feel like they can show up as their most authentic self. And if your most authentic self wants to have an experience, then we need to figure out how we prioritize that. So I tend to lead with um, the emotional first and lead with what's important to you, what are your values as a person, and then how do we translate that into how you use and behave with your money so that you are able to prioritize, hey, having a budget or a spending plan is really important because we have these financial goals that mirror what our personal values are, what our values as a family are. So then we can enact whatever we want to do when it's time. That makes sense. Okay, so then how do you, I've heard you talk about this, uh, how oftentimes we spend our money though to signal to others. We spend our money in ways that are not internal. They're not internally satisfying. We think that they are externally satisfying to others. But as you are taking clients and folks kind of through that process, are there some steps that you take with them to help them to understand what it is that kind of lights them up? How, How can folks avoid that trap of spending in a way that doesn't necessarily align with their values? Yeah. So I think it's twofold. So I always say that we need to really do the hard work of being honest with ourselves and how we feel about ourselves um, and looking at our self-esteem while we're in the process of creating financial priorities. So if you find that you are purchasing a bunch of wealth signifiers to show everybody that you're making it, who is that for and how come? And let's dive into what you really believe about yourself that you need that. And I say this also coming from a place of having done that too. Like I remember when I, right, all of us. And and it shows up very differently through your age. And I think as young as middle school too, what jeans are you wearing? Who are you hanging out with? What, like, do you have the latest and greatest, whatever it is, feels really cool when you're young. But as you continue aging and your life starts to look different, that's kind of, you have the insight and the wherewithal to start asking yourself the harder questions of why, you need this stuff and who who are you trying to attract that you feel like you can't attract without it mm-hmm. and those yeah. the expense of those well signifiers goes up substantially too as you get older because in middle school <laughs> yeah, it's true. it's sneakers and a t-shirt and as an Not adult a big deal it's a car and a house right? yeah. <laughs> so exactly. it's, like the, it's so expensive to to kind of really keep that up 
Exactly. And I think the second step after you are kind of taking the time to look at like, hey, who is this for? Then you can ask yourself, okay, does this align with my values? And I want to like put the disclaimer in that I am not telling people don't have the fancy dinner, don't get the fancy car, do that, but make sure one, that you can afford it and two, that it's really for you and not so that other people are looking at you and deciding that you are this type of person and you can fill in Mm. the blank there. Yeah. Is it really for you? I like that. Uh, I've heard you talk about deserving versus being able to afford it, right? Some folks feel like, okay, I'm an adult. I deserve adult treats. Like this is what adults do, I think. And so (laughs) this is the path I need to trod. uh, What do you tell folks who feel like frugality is too much of a downer or, hey, no, I'm like 35. And so I should be able to spend on this stuff, but maybe they don't necessarily have the budget to be able to do so. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, and <laughs> they're evolving as we're even talking about it. So one thing that I'm thinking about is when we have this idea of, hey, I'm 35, I'm this age, I'm an adult, I should be able to afford that. Where is that coming from? Because if that's coming from generations before you, we're living in a different time. It looks very different. So if you were expecting to have the same things that somebody would have had um, at your current age before you, like we're we're not on the same playing field. The foundations look very different. It's a different world. It's a different world. Totally yeah. different world. Like those houses are expensive now. <laughs> yes, very expensive. And globalization and the internet has made things that we could not get so readily available at our fingertips by a click of the button. Something can yeah. come to me in a week. <laughs> so it just looks a week, right? Asia, I'm paying for, I get stuff like this afternoon. <laughs> that, I'm trying to give the leeway, but you're right. <laughs> and, well, and not only yeah, it's true. Yeah, not only just that, but I, I really, really try to hammer home to people that what you deserve has nothing to do with what you can afford. Those are two very different things. And we connect them so quickly and easily when they have no business being connected. As a human being, we all deserve everything, right? Like just as humans, I believe that, yes, we deserve to be where we want to be, feel safe where we can be safe, anywhere we walk around. Like I just believe that that is a human right. So yes, you deserve all the things, but it doesn't mean you can afford them. Does Yeah, does not mean you've got the money in the bank. And it sounds like, so it sounds like you're kind of speaking from personal experience a little bit, how I guess when, when you and your husband, when y'all were living in the city, maybe y'all were spending more than you should have been, or I don't know, maybe more than you realize. <laughs> can you can you share your, your personal story a little bit? And you talk about the financial awakening that you went through. Can you basically, yeah, talk us through that? Yeah, so... When I had first moved, so I'm originally from upstate New York, but when I first moved down to New York City, I um, was spending all of my money. I was literally just making it rain. I had a car payment. (laughs) I had student loan payments. I had rent payment for a pretty nice apartment. And I was like, oh, I could send out my laundry. Oh, I can also go to this happy hour and this brunch and go shopping in the same weekend. do all the things. (laughs) (laughs) I could not afford to do that. But it felt like, again, I should be able to. I'm making this money. It should be able to work that way. And as I got into the personal finance space and just started educating myself, I was like, okay, this doesn't make sense. This is actually not working. I'm not going to be able to reach the financial goals that I want to. And then me and my now husband moved in and we were still making it rain. (laughs) (laughs) We were still going out to eat and ordering takeout and it looked a little different, our spending. But now when I look back, 
we are at the time, like our rent was a little less, a little more than half our mortgage payment. We didn't have two kids in daycare. We didn't have need a like larger SUV. We didn't have a dog. Like all of these things gave us space in our budget to have a great time. And we lived it and it was amazing. But I cannot afford to do the things that I was doing then now Mm. because I have different priorities. I'm like, oh, do I want to go out to this fancy meal four times this month? That would potentially equal the same amount of money that is one child's daycare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, once kids enter the the realm, the equation, you're like, this changes everything. And and so I'm like, Matt and I always talk about how we're glad that we were more frugal maybe than sometimes we even needed to be on those in those early years because there's so many unexpected expenses that pop up when you have kids and I I will say even in the beginning I was like oh I can't wait to get out of diapers that's going to save me a lot of money and then the kids activities start up and the (laughs) soccer and the gym gymnastics and all that stuff and you're like wait a second how did I ever think that this like it it just the expenses continue to grow even as your kids get older when you think oh wait yeah getting out of diapers is going to be great well not so much Um, I guess I, my question to you too is like when you realized okay we're moved in together we're we're still making it rain we're still spending in the same way what did you end up cutting back on and how did you realize that those were the right moves so we ended up cutting back on definitely on eating out and drinking out I think is the best way to put it so it's really easy especially when you live in New York to say hey let's meet up after work or your friends don't live in the same borough that you live in and it takes a long time to travel so it's easy to go someplace that's halfway and meet and get drinks because it's just like it's it's a very going out city like you don't really hang out yeah. at home all the time. That's a rare case. You go out. <laughs> well, your homes are tiny. Right, you don't have exactly. Any space. <laughs> you go out. You let's hang out together. So when I realized, I think it was around the time that we were moving and moving out of the city and going to the suburbs when I was like, okay, well, our mortgage is much higher than our rent was. Where do we need to cut? And I had, thankfully the personal finance education to be like, let's look at our budget. How much money are we cutting? And what are we cutting and how much do we need to? And a lot of it came from eating out and drinking. It came from, um, we had more expensive gym memberships that in the city that we didn't need in suburbia. So that shifted at that time I had paid off my car already. So I was like, we will be driving this car forever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we did until we had a second child and had to upgrade. And that literally happened two and a half years ago. So we really were more mindful of when we were spending. We would still go out and we had a great time, but it was just so much less. And you don't really, like I know I was probably spending $1,200 a month by myself alone, like not even what my now husband was spending. So that's a lot of money. It's tough when you live in a really cool city like that too, because yep. you want to partake There's in that so stuff. There's so much there to experience. Part of, yeah, that is part of the experience, mm-hmm. but also... The, there's the experience of being broke and in debt, which is which is something you want to avoid too. Yeah, and it's just the different life stage that you're in, right? Like that necessitated yes. the change that uh, you were willing to make. And like you said before, it's so important and helpful, I think, to have something there in front of you that you are pursuing, that you're moving towards rather than just saying, oh, I'll, well, it's not just no, 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 no. It's so that you can say yes, 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 
to some of these other things. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, so far we've kind of, this is a fun conversation. We're talking about spending, but we're going to kind of dive into some of this, some of the heavier (laughs) mental health aspects, mental health. We're going to talk about emotions and specifically the impact that it has on us and how it is that we spend and save our money. We'll get to all of that right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, the conversation continues. We're talking about mental health, how that is essentially financial health in so many ways. We're talking with Asia Evans, perfect person to talk to about this topic. And Asia, you, you mentioned that when you, you kind of start talking about the the personal values that someone has. You're not necessarily going directly to like personal finance 101 in your discussions when someone comes into your office or when someone's meeting with you uh, to talk about kind of their 
financial feelings and stuff like that. But like, how do you know whether where you should go in that conversation and and how much are, are you doing on like the unpacking the childhood front or are you more like unpacking their spending and credit card bills breaking down their credit card statement or is it both and uh both and <laughs> okay <laughs> so even like in probably the first conversation i have with potential clients at that point like the whole process if you will i ask them what's going on now like why did now feel like a good time that you wanted to talk to a financial therapist and really dive in about what's going on with your emotions and your money. So that will be an indicator of what they want to work on. And then, you know, they say, yes, we start working together. We get them on the schedule. And then it's, okay, this is where you're at now. Is there anything else that is feels really pressing right now about like what's going on with your money? Like, are you in crisis right now? Do we need to attune to something that's coming up quickly? Sometimes the answer is yes, and we'll stick to that subject matter. Sometimes the answer is no. So when the answer is no, that gives us a little bit more space and room to then have the conversations about childhood and yeah. upbringing. And, and I know, listen... People don't want to talk about their upbringing. <laughs> the mommy issues. Yeah. The daddy issues, the friend issues, yeah. the, the person issues. You know, we all have baggage right. and I totally get it because it's hard to decide that you're going to go unpack that closet. And as we all know, when we clean a closet, we make the room very messy trying to clean yeah. out the closet. And sometimes it takes time to put that stuff back in neatly. But that's why I'm here to walk my clients through the process and to understand where the root of some of these patterns came from. Exactly. And that's what's necessary for long-term change. And I tell my clients that. I'm like, listen, if you want sh short-term change where you we go through this process and then you may have to come back to me in a little bit, that's okay. But I that's really not how I like to work. I would rather go through the nitty-gritty, the hardship right now, do the hard first, so that later on when you're making these behavioral and financial changes, they stick and you don't feel bad and yes. there's reduced shame. I totally agree. I was recently talking to a friend who's a physical therapist and she was just kind of talking about some of the different work that she does. And I was like, hey, by the way, what do you think about chiropractors? Uh, you know, you go in, you get that adjustment and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I feel great. And she basically said exactly what you just said, but in terms of the body and physical health, right? Like you can make some of these little tweaks to quick fix and you might feel good for a little bit, but it doesn't address the underlying issues. And I love that that is the goal, uh, certainly your goal, but just, I think mental health professionals, generally speaking, what are the things you're able to identify as you kind of dig through that baggage is just some of the beliefs that we have around money the scripts, like sometimes folks call them money scripts, but like we have these beliefs and it's hard to know whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're like right or wrong. And it's almost as if like as like the process of adulthood is almost just try, trying to like <laughs> experiment and try some of these out and to figure out whether or not they're accurate or, or not. Right. And so how do you think that that we can go about doing that when it comes to some of the different money beliefs that we have? Yeah. So I I would tell people to start looking at what your money beliefs are and people very quickly be like, well, what are you even talking about? Like, what do you mean? So money beliefs or money narratives, the way I think about them is that they are either something that you learned, picked up on understood pretty much cemented to your memory and decided this is how you this is what it is right this is the truth this is the the 
the infinite truth of money in this way. And that- Can you give an example? Is it like, yeah. I will never have enough money? Is that one? Perfect. Yep. That's an, a perfect example. That could have come, so say you were younger and you grew up in a household that didn't have enough money and you felt like there was no possible way you were going to get out of that because you couldn't see it because you were young. And mind you, the research says that children start solidifying their money beliefs by between the ages of seven and nine. So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty young, you know? You're not making money at that time. And if you started believing, I'll never have enough money, it may not show up the same way as it was when you were younger, but as an adult, you may be a workaholic because you're making 300,000, but you feel like it will never be enough because that script, mm-hmm. that narrative is still embedded in your mind of what it looks like to attempt to survive, attempt to make it work. So then you work, yourself into the ground thinking that um you'll never have enough money and your significant other's like why do you work all the time <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. and, it, and then and then it crosses the these interpersonal lines where that relationship suffers because you haven't identified this underlying money belief exactly and you're working all the time you may be neglecting your body you may be de- neglecting your own mental health and people therapists are not trained to think about money in that way. We're not trained to start diving into the financial aspect of people's lives and how that may be making their symptomology worse. So my wife is actually in graduate school to become a mental health oh, welcome. Uh, clinician. Yeah, so uh, I'll have to, you guys will have to chat at some point. <laughs> she would love that. But she, that's something she talks about because of what I do and because of what we talk about in our household. She's like, it's so amazing that money is so often left out of these mental health conversations when it is such an important piece of the puzzle that really should uh, be put on the table more often. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm happy to talk to her about it. That'd be great. Well, I mean, so how do you, how do you take those emotions that we all have? Obviously like, I mean, the, the answer isn't to be more robotic necessarily and to eliminate any sort of happiness, but also sadness for, <laughs> from our life. Yeah. Uh, how should we take those emotions uh, and how should they interact with our money and with our finances in a healthy way? Yeah. So I think realizing kind of what your money narrative was that you had in the past and also giving yourself grace, like allowing yourself to remember, hey, this developed out of a place that I am no longer in. And I know that I was just trying to make it and I was doing the best that I can. Thank you, younger me because that was helpful. And now the new older me that knows differently needs to, you know, shift to make sure that that's how we're living now. So have grace. Don't be mean to yourself. That does not help. Shame does not motivate people. <laughs> and yeah. and then it's time to like, okay, now how can we be better? And what are we going to be doing differently? And let Let's be honest about the emotions that happen, because I think what happens, especially in my work, is that people find the narrative or we pinpoint the the moment or the root cause and they see the pattern. They're like, OK, great. I'm healed. <laughs> and I laugh because it's just not true. Like that is actually when you start doing the hard work. That's when it's like, oh, I it's am just step one. Exactly. Yeah, the epiphany is necessary, but it's not going to fix it. Exactly. Uh, oh, I just realized that I'm doing this and now I have to do a different behavior. That is the hard uh-huh. work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so emotions are certainly a part of that and we don't want to cut ourselves off from all those feelings because feelings are necessary. They, they're a big part of what makes us human. But what about, um, where's the intersection? What about concrete action steps? Like creating a plan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that maybe 
does that help us overcome some of those negative feelings sometimes? And you just don't want to paper over over them. But sometimes you need a to-do list, like things to actually accomplish at the same time as you're kind of, you've got the epiphany, maybe you kind of see, oh, wait, that's my limiting money belief. That's how it, this is, this and this and this is how it's impacting me. Then how do we start to move forward? Yeah. So definitely having that plan, right? Deciding what your financial priorities are and how you're going to accomplish them, however that is, whatever works for you. And then also having a plan for when you get upset, when something is hitting that button, when something is, um, we use the word trigger a lot. So when something's triggering that emotional state for you, what are you going to do then? You need a plan for that as well, not just your financial plan, because that's when it gets hard to make sure that you make a different choice Mm. and you don't harm yourself anyway, like financially. So that you need a plan or coping skill or something that's going to help you regulate feeling emotionally heightened. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense because that's why Matt has to stay away from Applebee's during half price appetizers <laughs> because he'll go overboard. You I know? get triggered, Asia. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, I love what you're saying because you need when you are emotionally in a, in an emotionally heightened state. That's when you're going to be most likely to take the wrong action anyway. So yeah, have, having a plan 100%. so that you are just kind of doing the right things because we don't always feel feel like doing the right thing. It makes me think about like you mentioned going out on like date nights with your husband. It makes me think how grateful I am. So my wife and I, no matter what, it's on the calendar. Every two weeks we go out, we go out on a date night. And sometimes I don't necessarily want to go, right? <laughs> and like, it just feels like we're kind of mm-hmm. checking a box because it is this repeating event. But what I find is that by sitting there, by looking at her, having a conversation, connecting as Out of, out of the husband, elements of having to do laundry and all yeah, that stuff too. connecting as husband and wife, by the end of that, I am so A, thankful that we went on a date night. And it makes me want to go on another date night again very soon. And so it, yep. I guess, yep. yeah, talk to me about that. Do you think that there should be things that we do? I'm trying to relate this back to money, right? <laughs> like, do you, What are the, some of the different things you think we should be doing, I guess, with our money, even when we don't feel like there are things that we want to do? Because I think a lot of times folks feel that they need to have a full understanding of exactly what it is that they, they should be doing with their money or they should... They, they, or that they need to feel good about their money as opposed to knowing that, well, I need a, I know I need to just do this because this is going to get me towards closer towards building wealth. This is going to get me towards uh, closer towards financial independence. Can you talk about that for a second? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I'm, you're going to keep me on track. I'm going to hold you to it, but I'm going to get there in a roundabout way. <laughs> do it. I love it. So first, for your example, you going out on your date with your wife is self-care. To the point of like why we are here talking about this. You stepping outside of your life, stepping away from the laundry, the responsibilities as um, parents, and just being back to like, oh, hey, this is, remember, this all started because we loved each other. Mm-hmm. Like this is all, this all started because we fell in love and being able to be there together allows you to then step back into your responsibilities and feel more equipped to handle them, more rested, better about yourself, better about your foundation and your partnership, whatever it might be, right? Yours is date night, but it could be something else for somebody. Sure, yeah. Being more prepared to handle the responsibilities makes it easier for you to put that back into your budget to realize, hey, Mm -hmm. this is really important for us to have this time. We do need to spend money on a date night or carve out the time no matter what it looks like because it pours back into us and this is a value that we have. And 
what you're doing is just expressing that with your money as well. So it could be the gym for some people. Okay, you go to the gym in the morning, you're paying for this gym membership. Could you cut it? Sure, but are you gonna go do the other things? And are does that mean you're going to let some of your self-care behaviors go by the wayside because you aren't having that routine with the gym? For sure. All right, talk, talk to me about negative amplifiers of of emotional and mental health. And I'm, I'm specifically thinking of things like loneliness or social media, that the, the more disconnected we feel from our loved ones and the more we're on social media, typically that has, for, for most people, from everything that I've seen and read, it, it has a negative impact on how they're feeling about their life. Um, and yeah. that's the highlight reel on Instagram, right? I mean, there's a bunch of things we can highlight or just, just missing out on community involvement. Um, so, I know we're mostly talking about money here, but I feel like the more disconnected we feel and the more anxious we feel, the more likely we are to do bad things with our money. So yeah. what do you what do you think about those <laughs> inputs, the, the way that they impact how we think and feel and, and actually the things that we do with the, the money that we have? So I completely agree with you. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with comparison. So if you are scrolling and you're looking at social media and you're looking at somebody's highlight reel while you're on the couch with your hand in your ice cream tub, <laughs> nothing is going to look good, right? Like you are going to sit there and feel so bad about what your life looks like compared to who's, whomever's pictures you're seeing that look perfectly curated and look really great. It's like, well, and Asia's at Noma and I'm eating Cheetos. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That feels awful. Where... Dang you, Asia. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm like, listen, this took a lot of work to get here. Right. <laughs> sure <laughs> You did. may not have seen it, but it That's took right. a lot of time and preparation and we lose track of that so quickly because it's mm -hmm. right there in front of us all the time. So if you're following a ton of people, you can just see it. I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, listen, if somebody was following you with a camera and had some good lighting and put some well-timed music to your favorite day, <laughs> doesn't that sound like a highlight reel to you? Yeah, basically. Because that is exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that people who are creating content, this is a job for them. There is a skill <laughs> that comes to making that work. And I think when these social media platforms started, it wasn't like that, right? It was just kind of like, I mean, I was in college when Facebook started and we were taking pictures on a digital camera that may have fallen in a cup of beer. Like it was just, <laughs> it was messy and it wasn't perfectly curated, but the way it has worked out is that now it looks different and we compare ourselves and then that leads to, you know, low self-esteem, which can lead to depression or feeling anxious or feeling like you're not living up to what people your age or your peers are doing. And that can lead to anxiety. So all of these symptoms, if you will, or, or feelings that can come up can go in a negative place if you let them spiral to that place. Yeah. And the comparison really is a like gasoline on the fire to that. And what happens when you feel that way is that you are trying to cope. You're trying your hardest to feel better. And a lot of that is instant gratification. And that means you're spending money. So if that means, hey, I'm ordering Uber Eats because I'm depressed and I can't, I can't even think about making dinner right now, Mm -hmm. then it's so quick to just spend that 25, 30 so bucks easy. to have a meal. So yep. easy. It's right there on the phone. It's right there within the app. Uh, or. Streamline everything. Right. Or you're like, hey, look at that awesome home that they have. Like, look at those throw pillows. Oh, look, they're linked. And so is my credit card. <laughs> click, click, click. I bought those pillows. I'm yep. going to feel as good too. So it is really, really easy to spend our money now. And what we're trying to do is feel better. So that's when I talk about going back to what do you do when you're triggered 
if you're not realizing that you're triggered, you're just going to spend your money sometimes. For some people, other people do certain things, you know. But sure. Yeah. 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 I'm sure there's some folks who do the exact opposite, right? right? And from a financial standpoint, they they probably aren't struggling quite as much, at least in that way. But they, I'm assuming, sure, certainly they've got other issues going on where still there are issues for them to work through. But yeah, yeah. Social media, it's, ugh, it's kind of the worst, right? Because <laughs> like on one hand, I do like it because the ability for folks to talk about money and how to money Facebook group is a is a great one of the best it's just versions. a great way yeah. for us to re- reduce the the taboo that surrounds personal finance and money but on the other hand like you said the comparison game I think ultimately is a is a net loss but um can we talk about trauma for yeah. for a quick second here if that's possible let's talk let's quickly talk about trauma <laughs> I feel like it's a word that you hear being tossed around a lot. Like I feel like it, it kind of gets maybe used too much. I don't mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you, you feel that way. But what is financial trauma? And, and specifically, like what, what is it that causes financial trauma? Yeah, so financial trauma to me is a negative feeling that you have because of a like hardship that you lived through. So a financial trauma, I mean, the definition kind of fluctuates and my own definition fluctuates. So I'll give that disclaimer as well. (laughs) But it's pretty much if you lived through somebody, one of your parents lost a job or you had to move abruptly because you were being evicted or you are 20 something and are up to debt, like in debt up to your eyeballs and you don't know what to do with it and you're anxious and you can't sleep anymore. It's feeling like you can't compare to anybody else or your peers because you don't have enough money to quote unquote keep up. All of those things, no matter how big or small, can be traumatic and can take root inside of you that start to kind of influence how you think about yourself in the world. Say you came from a very wealthy family and at a certain age you moved out and you got a job, but you are not able to afford the same lifestyle that you had with your wealthy family and you take on credit cards and you're getting in debt. You can easily start writing the script that says, I'll never get out of debt. Like mm-hmm. I won't be able to get out of this debt unless I ask my parents, but I don't want to ask my parents. And you know, then we're down the cycle. <laughs> so right, it's very right. easy for people to have these financially traumatic situations happen, and they are very common. And I want to just say, I think we have this idea that people who are wealthy or rich or have a lot of money don't have any financial traumas, and that's not the case. Hmm. A lot of times we talk about it from the other side where people grew up in a situation where there wasn't enough means to kind of cover. But Financial trauma really doesn't care how much money you have. It's just that it was traumatic. It's about the experience of the person. And just because it was traumatic to you doesn't mean it was traumatic for somebody else who went through the same exact experience as you. So is the goal to overcome, to defeat the financial trauma, or is it is it more about like harnessing it to, to help you move forward? I mean, Matt and I, we've talked in the past about using financial stressors in your life to your advantage to kind of point you towards the things that need to be worked on. It's easier to let that like overwhelm you, right? Um, But then there are other ways where you can do a jujitsu move and you can kind of take advantage of that stress and turn it into action. So I don't know, what are your thoughts on on that and how we how we move forward and what are we trying to accomplish as we do that? Yeah, I think, I mean, to me, I would love for everybody to be able to heal and feel better, but a lot of it is just acknowledging it that this had an impact on you. And a lot of times people have a hard time acknowledging that because it also may involve their family. It might feel disrespectful to say, oh, that was really hard for me when you know your parents were trying their hardest and doing their best. Yeah. And that's that to me are two different things. You can love your parents. They could have been doing their best and it could still be hard for you. 
and two yeah. can, things can be true at the same time. So it's about acknowledging that you went through this and that it was hard and sometimes it informs what you do with your money and you don't want it to anymore. So let's give ourselves grace and figure out what our financial priorities are and then figure out what do we need to do to feel better when those old memories are coming up, when we're triggered, when we're having a hard time and be nice to yourself. Like shame is the worst. Financial shame is awful and it makes people feel terrible about themselves and I'm just not for it. So I'm just like, we got to get rid of it. Yeah, we're we're anti shame too because it's it, it breeds the opposite of action. It doesn't just, yeah, it doesn't lead to anywhere um, that it doesn't lead for nowhere right? productive. Yeah, it's not productive. It's that's, it's it's that's what I was trying to you're say. You're wallowing. You're sitting there. You're beating yourself up, and you're not really actually taking any steps to to move forward and get beyond it. So yeah. we've got a couple more questions to get to with you, AJ, including we want to talk about boundaries, and that is, especially as like your money situation changes, maybe those how you deal with uh, money stuff with it interpersonally with your significant other, maybe with your parents who raised you. We'll talk about that and more right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. 
For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we are back. Still talking here with Asia Evans. And Asia, so far, the work that you've guided our listeners through is, is more personal and internal, right? Mm-hmm. So let's step outside of that a little bit. Let's talk about other people and uh, specifically... How can we make them different? <laughs> <laughs> How do we change the lives of yeah. the people around us? <laughs> I don't want to change. I want them to yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my life will be better by proxy. <laughs> uh, no, uh, so you literally, you were, before we hit record, you were talking about how you literally, I guess, 20 minutes before we started yeah. talking, you turned in the, the first draft of your book. It's called, But I Only Got Water. Yeah. Uh, and it's a... The title of the book, obviously, it's a nod to the predicament of splitting a dinner uh, and trying to figure out how to pay the check yep. and you're with your friends. Can you can you tell us about the book? You know, do you mostly focus on some of those modern day money anxieties that we all face? Yeah. So the book is pretty much about how our relationship to money is formed. And then it goes into some of the limiting beliefs that we may have. So whether it is thinking about how you're going to split the check at, at the group dinner or <laughs> When you're walking down Target and you want to buy all of the things, which I happen to feel quite frequently. <laughs> um, so just how some of the limiting money beliefs show up for you and how they kind of interact with your money in a way that you either do or do not want anymore. Uh, you've talked about this, I think, in your relationship with, with your own mom about how once you've had a degree of financial success, it can change the interactions between you, you and a parent you and a spouse, how, uh, but like different cultures, different families have varying opinions as to what's expected of you once you've had that degree hmm. of financial oh, yeah. success, right? And, and you say that setting proper boundaries is one of the most important things when it comes to relational health. Boundaries. That's one of those things that uh, a word I did not understand very much in my early 20s, but late 30s, I understand it a whole lot more. How would you go about recommending people think about setting boundaries when it comes to money and relationships? So I would say the first step is deciding where they need to be. I think a lot of times people want to set boundaries, but they don't know where they should be. Like, when is it okay? Um, So the first step is really deciding where do you start to get uncomfortable? Where do you start to feel like, oh, gosh, I don't want to have this conversation or, oh, gosh, they might ask me for money or I want to give them money, but they're really uncomfortable about it. That is a signifier to tell you like, hey, something's going on with your boundaries. Like when you start getting uncomfortable or feeling uneasy. After that, thinking about like, okay, how can I have this conversation to set the boundary in a way that I feel comfortable and I feel safe and I am also not trying to hurt their feelings? And I think that's where we all get, you know, a little caught up because we don't want to hurt the other person's feelings, but we are hurting ourselves and not protecting our own boundaries. So we have to be brave and be kind to ourselves and try as hard as possible to just like let them know what is comfortable for you and what isn't what you're willing to do and what you aren't willing to do so similar to what you were saying when i started making a certain amount of money um my mom was like okay here you take this phone bill like she just gave me her phone bill just like here too <laughs> culturally i'm a black woman that was totally appropriate culturally i was not shocked by it i almost like expected it's not it. out of the ordinary for not you not okay. out of the ordinary for me at sure. all but for some of my white counterparts that I have shared this story with, they're like, I'm sorry, what? My parents are still paying my phone bill. I was like, yeah, I'm It's like upset. the opposite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you like, mom, we're putting you on Mint Mobile right now? Like, <laughs> nope. I'm like, okay, here we go with the Verizon bill. Oh. Well, how do you, I guess, yeah, 
as you start to have some of these conversations, how do you go about doing that well? Obviously, it's not like a mm-hmm. one word text that you shoot over to somebody and you're like you want to be able to provide some sort of some sort of explanation, I guess. And you probably want to do it in person. But I guess how much information is too much information? I, you're talking to a therapist. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm always about that communication. Yeah, I'm sure I'm it varies gonna, per, like, per individual and it depends exactly. on the specific so circumstance. Pretty much but. how much are you willing to share without, again, feeling like your boundaries are uncomfortable. If you're going to tell somebody how much you're making, but you know that they're going to tell the whole family that you don't feel comfortable letting them know that information, you don't want the whole family to know, then I wouldn't share it. So you decide what feels safe for you, what feels comfortable for your transparency and how to have that conversation with that person. Um, And when I say the conversation, I mean you leading with, I feel, I want, I statements, always I statements Mm -hmm. for what you're going through and let them know what will work for you and what will not work for you. So I was comfortable taking my mom's phone bill on. So I, I let her know, I was like, okay, mom, like that's fine blah, 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 move on from there. But if it was like, hey, Asia, can you pay my rent, for example? And I would be like, I feel like that's a (laughs) terrible idea. But (laughs) we have to have a conversation. Mom, I love you so much, but I'm not financially able to carry your rent and my own at the same time. And I want to be able to help you wherever I can. So how do we find a way that we both Mm -hmm. can feel comfortable? Because I would feel uncomfortable that way. Well, the way you do it, it makes it sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) But what I'm gathering here, though, is to not say not to blame it on the other person, uh, which is why you're You always do that. Exactly. What's your problem? Going back to... Changing other people around us. <laughs> and that's hard when you have started doing some of this work and not just the financial work, but the work on yourself. When you start having insight on yourself, it's really hard to recognize other people around you who may not have that level of insight with for themselves. And that's difficult. All right. Well, Asia, this has been just a, such a great conversation. So much insight, so much value, I think, for people because, yeah, when it comes down to it, how we feel about our money, how we feel about our lives impacts every aspect of our personal finances. And it's really important. Uh, or I guess I, one last thing I want to ask you is like, when does somebody know, hey, they've just heard this, maybe this is a, either a great primer, they need to go see somebody, they need to go talk to a mental health professional, or when is this done? Just, just fine within community as a solo mission, uh, or, or when do they actually need to seek paid professional help? Yeah, so I would say if you find yourself really, really anxious, so if you are, you can't sleep, you um, have your stomach hurts, you're having trouble breathing, if you're having anxiety attacks or panic attacks, especially about your money, definitely seek out a financial therapist, um, specifically one that may have clinical background so they can help work you through some of those anxiety attacks or panic attacks. I would also say if you find yourself just doing the same thing over and over again, if you feel like you are you know, you've listened, you have the personal finance education, but you keep making the same money mistakes. You keep beating yourself up about it. It's the same pattern happening over and over again. I would definitely get in touch with a financial therapist. Oh, and where can folks find out more about you and what you're up to? Ah, so I am on Instagram at Asia, A-J-A-E therapy, or you can find me on my website, which is asiaevanscounseling.com. Awesome. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Absolutely. And thank you again for joining us. Thanks. Nice. Dude, I think this is the my favorite conversation that we've ever had about <laughs> about mental health because like you hear mental health and maybe this is just me, but oftentimes it seems like this super like a, a setting where it's just like think about your childhood. It's ethereal. How does it make, yes, hard to put your finger on. It feels on. really nebulous. A it's like navel gazing sometimes. It's like trying to 
nail slime to a wall or something like that. And I feel like Asia was able to make it practical. And so my big takeaway, I think it was when we're talking about emotions specifically and how we just need to give ourselves a little bit of grace because what we have done in the past, right? Like that has informed who we are today, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is what we need to continue to do. She was saying like, she was taking a very like thankful posture towards that where she's yeah. just like, okay, that was necessary for that point in your life. That is how you survived. That was that informed how it is that you earned money or that informed how you spent money. But once you've identified a new priority, a, a new value, you can move, essentially move on from that is, is sort of what I took from her talking about and the that. more you let it define you, the more it will you're continue just, to impact your yeah, future. You're basically just trapped, which yeah. I also love how at the end she was talking about that. She was just saying like, hey, if you find yourself in the in the same patterns, if, you, if you're in the same rut and you can't get out, well, then maybe somebody needs to come alongside you to kind of boom, kind of jar yeah. you out uh, out of those ruts a little bit. Third but, party pro, yeah. But to not beat yourself up over the things that happened in the past, knowing that, hey, there are changes that you can make now. Let that inf- help to inform your decisions moving forward. And, and that, was, that was my big takeaway. When does it ever help to just punch yourself in the no, face? You know, yeah, like, not like helpful. literally from a physical standpoint, you're just going to hurt yourself. <laughs> but then also when you're doing it from an emotional standpoint, it's, you're not making, you're not improving. Right. And you're not, exactly. you're not even going through some of those emotions that, that, you, that are really roiling you know, on the inside. Totally. So yeah, can't, you can't just do that. Uh, I think my big takeaway was kind of towards the end when we talked about minding the inputs. And I think a lot of folks feel like those things are unrelated, whether it's social media, whether it's the fact, whether it's a lack of community relationships, those those things kind of feel completely untangled from money. But I think they're far more entangled than we like to give them credit for. Sure. And it's it's really important to think about, well, how much news am I consuming? And how much social media am I consuming? Can, do I need to take the app off my phone completely? Is that going to actually change not only just how I feel as an individual, how I feel as a person, but also is it going to change how I interact with and relate to my money, how I spend and how I choose to save? And not just your money, but people right like it, it has an impact on how we treat other people yeah. and then our community around it. it has such like we are we are more holistic beings than i think we give ourselves credit for and like you said like we think we can isolate different things in our lives but it has a bigger impact on us than we i think could ultimately realize yeah. and, and when you look at the numbers not to bash but there is a preponderance of tv and social media tv watching and social media usage in this country yeah and if we would cut down on those things and spend a little more time in real human interaction i think we'd all be healthier and guess what i think we'd have more money at the end of the day too <laughs> it's weird to say but i think those things are are related for sure totally so, agree all right matt let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode this is a quality time kolsch is by inner voice brewing and actually we picked this beer up at the How to Money Hang yeah. in Atlanta, which made quality time. We had quality time with good what listeners. A, what a perfect beer. for! A, yeah. <laughs> we should have only all been drinking quality time. That's right. I, I, so I love the label. First of all, there's like two two beer glass characters on the front of it. And it's just like two buddies. Yep. Reminds me of us. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love the, the design of the label. It's like quality time. It's written over and over it's and over. It's very like 1970s. It's very 1970s. Specifically, what it makes me think of is the plastic bag that you would get at like a quickie mart. Oh. Like yeah. at a gas station where it says thank you. It's uh-huh. like thank you, thank you, thank you. That's totally what that looks like. It doesn't does, it? yeah. But for sure. Yeah, it's like a mashup between like Mr. Yuck. You remember the Mr. Yuck stickers? Nope. You, you don't remember Mr. Oh, you see, I think you're a touch too young for Mr. <laughs> Mr. Yuck was this character in the eighties. I remember being like a kindergartner and somebody would come to your class and you would talk about poison and you got these stickers and you stick them on things that you're not supposed to drink. Like rubbing alcohol okay, or, okay. <laughs> or something like, like, right. Something in, uh, at home that, you know, is bad. You, you put Mr. Yuck on there that way. You're not, you don't accidentally drink it or something <laughs> like that. 
That's what I think of when I see this label. Probably, anyway, probably had to put that up all over your house just to prevent you from. Doing I stuck them on stuff. everything, and I think my parents were annoyed. Uh, you put it on like the green beans at dinner, and your mom's like, "Not this cool. Is, this is yuck, mom." <laughs> but uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on on this colch? So I thought this was was crisp, refreshing, and a little bit creamy too, which is kind of nice. Oh, like interesting. It, it had crisp of, and creamy. Yeah, right. yeah, that re- really interesting combo. So I I don't really know the last time I had a colch. But I was like, oh, man, this actually kind of makes me want to go down that path a little more. And I don't really know what distinguishes a Kolsch from a Pilsner. Now I'm going to have to do some research. But I really it's, like this one. You would think it would be something that we would know, but we, we don't. No. So. <laughs> we like drinking it, you know? We know way more about IPAs and stouts and honestly, sours as well. And even like barrel-aged stuff. But some of those different European beers were... A little in the dark about, but that doesn't mean we can't enjoy these beers, but I, I totally agree. Really clean, refreshing, crisp. Uh, remind me of like biting into a, like a like a fresh green apple or a, like a tart pear. Kind of had some of those vibes going on. But I'm glad you and I got to enjoy one of these today on the episode, but we'll uh, have links up in the show notes for this episode at howtomoney.com. We'll make sure to link to Asia's site where you can learn more just about mental health, generally speaking, but then also, man, yeah. Yeah, if you meet the criteria that she recommended there at the end uh, for when it might be time for you to reach out to somebody, I really like how it is that, that Asia is talking about mental health and specifically how it impacts our money. Mm-hmm. But uh, glad we got to talk with her today. But buddy, that is going to be it for this episode. So until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.